just want to say welcome. So thankful that you guys are here today on a beautiful Memorial weekend. Um, yeah, I'm Zach, one of the pastors here. If you're new here, we also want to say welcome. So glad you're here. We have been in a series in the Proverbs now for four or five weeks, and we're going to be doing that all throughout the summer. And so um, if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab it and open it up to the book of Proverbs. And if you don't, aren't familiar with the Bible, um, that's great. You're totally welcome here. Um, just don't be afraid to use the table of contents if you need to, or you can just go like right in the middle. Proverbs is right after Psalms, and it's right in the middle. We're going to start in chapter 26. So chapter 26 of the Proverbs. I was thinking about um, what we're talking about this morning a little bit this week as I was preparing our sermon, and I, it dawned on me there's kind of a unique phenomenon when it comes to communication between my wife and I, and that is that oftentimes my kids love to be involved in the communication between my wife and I. And so sometimes there's various means by which we can seek to circumvent their desires to be a part of all that, we're, that Kim and I are talking about as mom and dad or as an adult. So sometimes we'll talk in code, maybe at the dinner table, we'll both be aware of a situation. And so I'll say to Kim, hey, how's the situation going? And she may give me, you know, just like a roll of the eyes or a thumbs down or a thumbs up or a half thumbs or whatever. And uh, other times, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll maybe just break off and go into my office and we'll sit down and then inevitably there will be within a minute a little rap on the window. What are you guys doing in there? <laughs> or just like peering in like a couple of zoo animals in the office, you know, those strange creatures that talk about top secret things. Um, one, one of my favorites is like we'll be in the, in the car and Kim and I will be on, we'll, all of us in the van, and we'll be um, on a road trip or something, and Kim and I want to discuss something that might be just for us, and the voice level will drop. And all of a sudden, like when our voice level drops, it's like the antennas go up. And it's like, what are you guys talking about? If you're whispering, that must be juicy, salacious, something controversial. Or we'll be in the kitchen talking, and all of a sudden, a child will appear in the doorway just hanging out. Just in the doorway of the kitchen, just hanging out, minding my own business here. Oh, you guys are talking? Oh, I didn't even know. Like, what? What? What do you guys? Oh, oh, well, since you're talking, what are you guys talking about? You know, that's just kind of the theme in our home. And we call that hovering in our, in like a helicopter just kind of hovers around, you know, the kids like to hover because they might be missing out on something, especially if the voices are hushed, right? And so that ties into. Um, a theme in the book of Proverbs, and it's this, that the sound of whispering, the sound of whispering, is that not somewhat enticing, right? Because people are like whispering, pss, 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 right? Your, your, your knee jerk is like, well, what are they talking about? Imagine someone doing that in your city group, like just sitting there talking, two people just whispering and giggling all night. I mean, that's pretty junior high. Hopefully that would never happen. But like, imagine that were to happen. You'd be like, what are you guys talking about? Like, it raises our curiosity, and that leads us to a little-known character in the book of Proverbs. Um, now, there's, there's, there's many different characters in the book of Proverbs. For example, the poor, the rich, the wise, the fool, uh, parents, children, husbands, wives, um, the just, the unjust, the, the prostitutes, the lover, the dishonest, the generous. 
All these are like characters that are discussed in the book of Proverbs as it relates to the difference between wisdom and folly. And a little known character, though, that we're going to talk about this morning is what the Proverbs call the whisperer. The whisperer. So what do you think? Who is the whisperer in the book of Proverbs? There's some serious warnings in the book of Proverbs about the whisperer. This person is dangerous. This person brings much harm. This person is to be avoided. The whisperer is a gossip. The whisperer is someone who is a gossip. The whisperer is dangerous. The, the whisperer brings harm. The whisperer destroys relationships. So it'd be, it'd be good for us, though, to think about the why. Why is it that the Bible says that we should pay attention to the whisperer and beware of the whisperer as, as, as we're seeking to know the difference between wisdom and folly? The whisperer plays a role in knowing the difference and knowing how to handle that. Let me give you an illustration. This is a, a Jewish kind of a, a folktale in, in, in Jewish culture. Um, about someone who's a whisperer. And maybe you've heard this, this illustration. It's somewhat famous, I think. I've seen it in a movie before. It's very powerful, and I'll just tweak it for our application. So it goes like this. There was a man who gossiped incessantly about someone in his local church. And overcome one day, it dawned on him that this was sin, and this is horrible, and he's overcome with remorse. And he wants to reconcile with this person who he was gossiping about and confess to what he had done. So he goes to that person and he says, I've sinned against you by speaking about you to others in matters they didn't need to know or be involved in. I harmed your reputation and gave out information that was supposed to be confidential. I maligned your character and disturbed your ability to have healthy relationships with others by the way that I spoke about you. And I'm truly sorry. What can I do to make it right? Well, the friend sighed and said, Here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and take two feather pillows and go up on top of your house and take a sharp knife and slice those pillows wide open and then wave them in the air and shake them all out. And then come back and let's talk. Well, the whispering man quickly went home and, and he got two pillows and a knife and climbed up on the second story of his house and, and cut those pillows wide open and waved them in the air. And since it was a windy day, those those feathers went all over the neighborhood. And then when the pills were empty, he hurried back to talk to the fellow church member he had sinned against. And he said, I did what you just, just said. And good, the church member smiled. Now, to realize how much harm is done by being a whispering gossip, go back to your neighborhood and, and collect all those feathers. But that would be impossible Exactly. That's the point. You can't possibly clean up that mess. Like once it's out there, opinions are formed, judgments are passed, relationships can become nervous and tense and, and prejudged. So with that illustration in mind, let's take a look at what Proverbs says about the whisperer. Verse 20 of chapter 26 Verse 20 of chapter 26. Here's what that says. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, 
and where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. So another translation would easily be, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. For lack of gossip, fighting ceases. Like I said before, this is so junior high. We all know how this works. Many of us have experienced this over and again, unfortunately. But should it not be different in our churches, right? And unfortunately, oftentimes it's not. I read a pastor who kind of researched this phenomenon in local churches about how um, it starts with words and you, you, the, end, the end game or the end result is oftentimes churches that actually split in half over stuff like this. And he summarized in a few points what he had observed in terms of how this actually goes. What, what is the progression that usually leads to this carnage of broken relationships in the church? And here's how he breaks it down. Track with this. Number one, an offense occurs. Number two, a biased view of the offense is shared with others, with friends. Number, number three, friends take up the offense. Number four, sides then begin to form. Number five, suspicion on both sides develops. Number six, each side looks for evidence to confirm their suspicion. You can be sure they will find it. Number seven, exaggerated statements are made. Number eight, in the heat of conflict, those involved hear things that were never said and say things they wish they had never said. Number nine, third parties, no matter, no matter how well-intentioned, can never accurately transfer information from one offended party to the other. Number 10, past offenses unrelated to the original offense surface. So then the issue is, at that point, the issue is not the issue. You guys know what that's like? Number 11, integrity is then challenged. Number 12, people call each other liars. Number 13, those who try to solve the problem, I, or e.g. church leadership, they're then blamed for not following the proper procedure and, becoming, and become the new focus. And number 14, many are hurt. Some of you may have participated in something like this or experienced something like this, tragically. But here's what I want you to figure out. This so interesting. Look at where it all started. Number one, it started at where an offense occurs. Very normal. We all get that. Happens every day in life, right? But look at where everything started to go south. Number two. Right at number two. Had number two not gone down, meaning had they not went and talked to others, but rather that person who was offended just talked to the person who offended them. Instead of talking about it with someone who had no business knowing about this offense or this hurt, etc., none of this nonsense would have gone down. You feel that? Like that whole laundry list of number three through 14 would have just been dealt with. No carnage in relationships, no churches dividing So here's a great question. Why is gossip so prevalent? Why is gossip so prevalent as a culture in general, but sadly oftentimes in church culture? Well, the Bible tells us, look down from 26, um, from chapter 26, verse 20, skip a verse and go to verse 22 of 26. The Bible tells us why it's so prevalent. Because it tastes so good. 
Look what it says. The words of a whisperer are like nasty morsels. No, they're not nasty. They're good. They're delicious. See that? The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Gossip just tastes so good. That's why we have it. If it didn't taste good, we wouldn't do it, right? Like, I, I got a problem with sweets, okay? I got a wicked sweet tooth. And the problem is when I take one Oreo, I want to eat 10, right? If the first one tasted good, well, then all 10 are going to probably taste just as good, right? Well, unfortunately, there's like this disconnect between mind and body, and I don't have that all sussed out. And so you, if you eat 10, you pay the price. And it sure does taste good going down, but you definitely pay the price, right? Everything that tastes good we say that differently. Just because it tastes good doesn't mean it's not destructive, right? Just because it tastes good doesn't mean it's not destructive. And the Bible is clear, it's, and we all know this experientially, gossip tastes good. Gossip feels good. It feels good to like have inside information, right? To be in the know. That makes us feel kind of elevated and, and special, right? And we like that. But, but if you spread information that you shouldn't be spreading or you receive information that you shouldn't be receiving, it's just going to harm us. It's just going to be destructive, right? Well, why is that? Why is it going to destroy us? Well, because at its core, gossip is deception. At its core, gossip is deception. It's speaking in such a way that doesn't maybe sound all that bad, but in the end, it just mean, it's a means to spread hate, without sounding that hateful. So let me give you an example. Man, I'm, I'm just so worried about so-and-so. Did, did, did you hear what they did? See, that doesn't sound that bad, does it? Because I, I, I cloaked it in the word worried. So that sounds kind of caring, right? I'm just worried about them. And, but, but, but then if all that follows is just a laundry list of how sinful that person is or how messed up that person is or, man, I can't believe they would do something so stupid. If that's all that follows, what does that accomplish? But what if you really are worried about that person? Am I just supposed to not talk about it? Great question. You go and talk to them. You don't talk about them. You with me? If you love them enough to be worried, then you should love them enough to go talk to them. Right? See, when we talk about people, usually all that's accomplished is a number of things that are all negative, right? You walk away just having that thought, man, those, that person's messed up. And as a result, if all I'm thinking about is how messed up that person is, I'm probably not going to be in a relationship with that person. Or, or you walk away with like that smug sense of superiority, like, like um, if you're familiar with the, the Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee looks at the, the messed up tax collector, and all he does is he attempts to talk to God about how great he is because he's not like the tax collector. He has a smug sense of superiority. But we also fail to, to, we conveniently forget to remember all the million ways that we've sinned and are messed up over and over and over again. And 
even more insidious is if I share something about someone else, that information that I shared with that other person is now going to color the relationship with the person we're talking about and then create dysfunction there. So it creates dysfunction between me and that person and the person I'm talking to and that person. You feel that? So deep down, gossip, even though it's, it's subtle and it's ubiquitous and everybody does it, it's, at its core, I think it's hatred for people because that's how the Bible talks about it. It's just very subtle. It's a subtle form of hatred. Flip, flip back a couple chapters to, to chapter 6 of the Proverbs. And look at verse 16. 6, 16 in the Proverbs. So if God is our Father and He's our transcendent, creator, and he's our loving sustainer, and we are his children, it really stands to follow that we would want to know him. And you get to know someone by knowing what they love and knowing what they hate. If you have that down, man, I really know exactly what this person loves, and I really know what ticks them off. You, you know that person pretty well. Well, God is so good to tell us these things so that we can know him, okay? So let's just see some things that God, in this case, what he despises, Look at verse 16 of chapter 6 of the Proverbs. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, that just means like prideful, thinking too highly of yourself. A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, those that pervert justice. Verse 18, a heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste, that, that, that run quickly, that get there in a hurry, that want evil, so they go there in a hurry. Uh, feet that make haste to run to evil. 19, a false witness who breathes out lies. And then here's the, the last one. And one who sows discord among brothers. One who sows discord among, among brothers. That last phrase is telling. Like, another way we could say is those who sow disunity. What does it mean to sow? Well, think about the farmer. He reaps and he sows. What does it mean to sow? It means to plant a seed in the ground and then walk away. And that's exactly what whispering or gossip is like. We plant a seed in someone's mind and then we bail. It's like, it's like, 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 putting a bomb in the ground and then just letting it go. Whatever happens, happens. You plant that seed and then you walk away, but unfortunately, sometimes that seed grows up into be a huge, horrible, thorny tree that's hard to cut down without a lot of pain. Let's ask another why question. Why is God so hyper about gossip in the Bible and for his people? Like really, what's the big deal? What's at the core here? The core is this. Gossip cuts against the grain of how God created human, human beings to flourish. Gossip cuts against the grain of how God created human beings to flourish. And here's what I mean by that. God created us, and he said, you are now created in my image. What that means is you reflect me. You are mine, and you're going to go out into all the world and reflect to the world what God is like. 
You're made in my image. You're my reflection. And so what is God? What is he like? Well, one of the most cool things about God is that he's a trinity. He's three in one. He exists as a loving relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. They live as a loving relationship. And so then it stands to follow that as, as, he's, as, as God creates us in his image, what are we called to do then? We're called to reflect him as we live in loving relationships with him and with one another. Okay? And so it's no big shocker that when people come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, just tell us how it all boils down. What's, what's, what's at the base of all this stuff? What's God's will for my life? Strip it all away. And Jesus said this. Here, here's what it boils down to. Loving God and loving others. Loving God and loving others. That's what we're created for, to reflect God as we're made in his image. And now think about the mechanism of gossip. What does that do? It just destroys relationships. It's dishonest, it's deceptive, and it cuts against the grain of how you were created to flourish in this world. Human beings were not created to flourish in the context of gossips. Human beings were created to flourish in the context of loving relationships where our speech seeks to build others up and not tear each other down with hurtful words to those who have no business knowing. That's why gossip is such a big deal in the church, in your neighborhood, in your immediate family, at your workplace. So I hope you're convinced biblically. Let, let me just wrap up with some application points and then a reminder of who you are. I'm going to give you a couple of filters, but let me, let me answer this potential objection. Are there not some times when I should probably have to talk about people and not to them? Yes, and we're going to talk about that in a second, probably. Um, but let me give you some what I call filters for your mouth to help you discern what's going to be best in a given situation, okay? And thankfully, God's Word gives us some guidance here. Now, there's not black and whites, so we're going to have to be filled with the Spirit and have God's heartbeat in us through His Word and, and, and seek to be discerning and wise, okay? So here's one just like huge thing that we can hang on to that helps guide us in this process, okay? This is Ephesians 4.29. It says this, no, let no Corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as, it, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, this isn't a verse directly about gossip, but it certainly applies, right? So three things to think about when it comes to, is this going to come out of my mouth or not, okay? This is just a great filter for our mouths so that we can build this church and build our families and build our neighborhoods to be places that truly are known by love and not destructive relationships. Number one, is, it, is what I'm going to say going to build up or will it tear, tear down? I got to think about that. I got to think about that. It, does it fit the occasion? Does that meaning like, is it the right time? Is this appropriate right now? Maybe it'd be appropriate later or maybe it was appropriate two weeks ago, but is it appropriate right now? That might be a little harder to discern, but the third one isn't. So that it may give grace to those who hear. Is this going to give grace or is this going to feel like cursing? Or is it leaning one way or the other? So is it build up? Is it, is it the right time? Or is this going to be grace-filled speech that, 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 that communicates that I understand humility? Or is it going to be more of like a curse that just communicates that I'm prideful and really have a smug sense of superiority? 
Here's another way to summarize it. My kids learn this in school. We try to teach this in our family. Um, And it's just the acronym THINK. T, is it true? Is what I'm going to say, is it true? H, is it helpful? Is it helpful? Or is it just spouting randomness that doesn't need to be shared? It's not really helping anyone, right? Is it insightful? Is it necessary? That's just a huge, really simple one, but so huge. Is this really necessary to communicate right now? What's going to be accomplished by me communicating this right now? And is it kind? Think, true, helpful, insightful, necessary, kind. And if it doesn't pass one of those tests, we just close our mouths. And knowing that that's going to be the best path of blessing. God knows what he's talking about in his word. He's given it to us for a reason so that we may flourish. Isn't that awesome that he would do that for us? And so when we go against the grain of that, it just leads to pain and suffering. And so, man, thanks be to God that we don't have to go that route. Let me read this quote. It's kind of a heavy hitter, but I think it's so important. This is from Ray Ortland. He's a guy that has been kind of influential for a lot of leaders around here. He says this, Gossip leaves a wide trail of destruction wherever and however it goes. Word of mouth, email, blogging, YouTube, it erodes trust and destroys morale. It creates a social environment of suspicion where everyone must wonder what is being said behind their backs and whether appearances of friendship are sincere. It ruins hard-won reputations with cowardly but effective weapons of misrepresentation. It manipulates people into taking sides when no such action is necessary or beneficial. It unleashes the dark powers of psychological transference, doing violence to the gossiper, to the one receiving the gossip, and to the person being spoken against. It makes the body of Christ look like the body of Antichrist, destroyers rather than healers. It exhausts the energies we would otherwise devote to positive witness. It robs our Lord of the church he deserves. It exposes the hostility in our hearts and discredits the gospel in the eyes of the world. Then we wonder why we don't see more conversions, why, quote, the ground is so hard. What should we do when a conversation starts slipping into gossip? And this sounds kind of hardcore, but man, I think this is, this is the path. And honestly, my wife reminded me this morning of when someone shared something like this with her, and it's marked her to this day, and it's been a powerful reminder. Now, you've got to come with these kind of words with grace and gentleness, but I think these words are appropriate. So what should we do when a conversation starts slipping into gossip? We should immediately challenge the sin. Hey, friend, sorry to interrupt, but this, this is gossip. So he, here's the deal. Th- this conversation is now on hold until you go get whoever we're talking about. And then you can start over and say whatever you feel you must say right to his or her face. I'm willing to be a witness to that conversation, but I will not participate in gossip. What do you choose to do? Amy Carmichael established this rule at her mission station, never about, always to. And I think that's a boundary for our protection. That's a boundary for maintaining love and beauty in the church. That Christ's agenda is that we would look like that, a spotless bride. That's what he wants for us. Now, let's, let's talk about another objection. Is, is there a time to talk about hard things that you're dealing with with other people, like deep hurts, offenses that, man, this is so deep, 
Yeah, and, and it does need to come out in some cases. But instead of just talking about someone, so, or let me rephrase that. Sometimes you are planning to talk to the person, right? But it's so gnarly and hurtful and deep, you don't feel a lot of confidence going into that conversation. So you want to seek some counsel. And so you go to someone else and go, hey, would you help me think this through? I know I need to talk to this person, but I just want to make sure that I'm going to do this in the way of wisdom. And again, the, the Bible seeks, uh, the Bible commends to us that we would seek wise counsel. So, hey, can I, before I go and talk to this person, can you help me think this through? That's probably wise in some cases. But just make sure that that person you're talking to is not just a passive receiver of information, but rather will speak to you the truth about the situation and make sure that you do actually go and talk to that person, right? So let's just covenant as a church to do this together, that we never talk about, maybe there's some nuance in certain situations, but no matter what, if we are talking about, that always leads to talking to, right? If talking, talking about always has to lead to talking to. And if the talking about goes south in terms of, it just turns into just like a, a crab fest about, about just how someone has hurt me and there's no action plan for actually dealing with that, that we shut it down and we, and we steer towards what the Bible commends. And that is talking to, always talking to, always talking to. Here's something else though that I think people may be thinking of as an, Objection. Does this mean that I just have to bury all of my deepest hurts? That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. The Bible doesn't ask us to bury all of our deepest hurts and never talk about them, just stuff them. That's the opposite of what I'm talking about. But thanks be to God, the Bible gives us a way to go about talking about our deepest hurts in a way that's way more healthy than gossip. And it's talking to the person, right? You don't stuff it. You talk to the person. That's not stuffing it, okay? Let, let me give an example. There's a thousand examples we can come up with, but let me give an example that has been very um, present in Kim and I's marriage, and I, th- I know it's present among us um, at the Vine and in almost every other church that I've ever been in. So this is just one example. Um, oftentimes in marriage, generally speaking, Guys can tend to be a little bit oblivious, okay? Ladies, are you with me? I see some smiles. No one's daring to laugh out loud, but um, guys can be oblivious. That's true. I can be oblivious. Um, I'm not as sensitive as my wife is, okay? And so I can be oblivious to how she's feeling, and sometimes that can hurt her, okay? And so women can be hurting, and oftentimes for women, that hurt spills over into talking about the husband and not to the husband, or at least this, not talking as much to the husband as they do talking um, to the husband. And wives, you might say, man, I've tried to talk to him and he's not listening, caring, or changing at all. Well, it sounds like at that point you need to get a third party involved because that way you can talk to him while the third party is present, who's not as emotionally involved, is more objective, who can help you. 
Maybe that's an elder. Maybe that's a city group leader. Maybe that's just another older trusted friend who knows God's word, knows you guys, loves you guys, and they're not intimidated by you, and you respect them, and, and you're willing to listen, and they're willing to listen to you. That can be a beautiful type of situation. Well, you might say, well, my husband won't like that. And it's just easier to talk to my girlfriends and, and vent. I need to vent. But here's what we should ask. Why is it that he won't like that? Is it because he's stubborn and hard-hearted? Well, if that's the case, gossip's never going to solve that. Gossip's, because you'll vent, but it'll never get better. It'll, in fact, it'll probably get worse as the bitterness just grows and grows day after day. So if he's stubborn and hard-hearted, venting or gossiping isn't going to solve that at all. And look at what happens. It's just enabling him by not talking to him. Right? Because you're never addressing the issue. You're talking about the issue, but you're never addressing the issue. So that's not a solution. But maybe he won't like it because what you're saying is unjustified. And that hasn't just been brought to the light yet. And actually, you're in the wrong. Now, here's the deal. In most cases, it's never black and white like that. There's offense, and there's someone's been sinned against, and someone is sinning. And it's usually just a mix of both, right? So you might be in the right, or you might be in sin, usually a mix of both. But just see how if you just talk about him and never to him, especially with a third party involved, you both feel this. You both are robbed of the opportunity to grow. Because if you're not talking to him, then he might not be aware. Or if you're not getting a third party involved that can help you, you're not going to get anywhere. And, and, but if you're in the wrong and you just go talk to your girlfriends all the time, then there's no opportunity for you to be corrected either. And so both people are robbed of their opportunity to be sanctified. Both people are robbed of their opportunity to grow out of this mess because we choose gossip. We choose whispering instead. Now I get it. It's easier. And in the short term, it feels so much better. Like I'm just getting this off my chest, but it never addresses the issue. This is man or, or woman. Gossip accomplishes very, very little except to make hearts harder and situations more difficult to untangle. So one last disclaimer. I'm aware that there is a lot of nuance that goes into this, but I just pray that we use God's word as the filter over our mouths. We use the Proverbs as a warning. We use the Proverbs as a a beacon of light that says, Come to me. Come over here. Come over here. I'm like this, this lighthouse on this, in the midst of this ocean of darkness. There's this white lighthouse of wisdom, and you can get there. It's for our blessing. Now, I know this is a heavy topic because the way we talk a lot of times is unconscious, and we don't even know that we're doing it. Like, for me, I'll confess to this. I know that I gossip, and I know it's a default setting in a lot of ways. Just to talk about people that are annoying to me or just talk about situations that involve different people that are annoying to me or whatever. And it's just like, it's just, it's just, it's just everywhere in our culture. It's just what we do. So it's challenging, and it can be maybe somewhat convicting this morning because it's so present in our culture. It's so subtle, though, as well. Right? We don't feel, it doesn't feel that hate-filled. It just feels normal. But I think as we readjust to what the Bible says truly will cause relationships to flourish, man, there's blessing for us. There's blessing for us. 
But let me close with this. Some of you may be tempted to leave here because of these reasons. Some of you may be tempted to leave here with a real heavy heart because we know this is what we do. And, and I'll sign up for that, okay? Like who here hasn't failed in these ways? But the gospel says there's forgiveness for the sinner. There's forgiveness for the person, person who thrives on spreading things that are salacious. There's forgiveness for the person who, who, who has bitterness deep down that, that, that has failed to, to use God's appointed means to move forward. There's, there's forgiveness for the person who's been the recipient of gossip and didn't know what to do. See, Jesus bore all of our smooth talk and our subtly hateful words on the cross so that you don't have to bear that punishment. That's the great news of the gospel based on his sheer love for you and his mercy that's as deep as the ocean. You don't have to walk out of here with a guilty conscience. It may be good to feel a sense of conviction, but that conviction should never lead to condemnation because Jesus bore condemnation for you. Anyone who's in Christ can be a new creation based on the fact that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So are you in Christ Jesus? If you're not, you can be this morning. Repent and believe. And if you are, you can repent and just keep believing. And knowing that the gospel truth is just as true today as it was yesterday. And you stand, you don't get re-saved. You just stand again and remind yourself that this is true of me. This is true of me. This sin, my, my, my crazy mouth doesn't send me to hell because Jesus went to hell in my place. He bore the, the, the mess, the, the, the punishment and the messy wrath that I deserve. He bore that in my place. So I don't have to stand at the judgment day and go, yeah, my mouth was out of control and I harmed people. No, Jesus bore that sin. And when you get that, and when you know that, what does that do? That changes your heart. That changes your heart. And you don't look at your father as some taskmaster where you got to climb the ladder of deeds and measure up and, and earn his approval. You already have his approval. And so when that grace dawns on you, man, that changes your life. It says, Jesus, I love you. And so then my words become beautiful, not out of just some obligation, because, but because I want them to be beautiful. Because God has changed my life through his grace. Does that make sense? Let me leave you with this. I want, you, I want you to think about this. How does God talk about you? Do we get any impression from the Bible that God gossips about us? Does he sit and talk to the angels about how messed up we are? Well, I, I don't get that sense when I read the Bible. In fact, I get the opposite. The Bible says that when he speaks of you, he calls you his treasured possession. Ephesians chapter 1 has this amazing list of all the ways that God speaks about those who are his, those who are in Christ. He doesn't make his feelings a mystery. You don't have to wonder if he's being honest. He's never two-faced or inconsistent. Here's how God speaks about us those who are in Christ. And I'm not going to read the text. You can go home and read it. It's Ephesians 3, uh, Ephesians 1, 
3 through 14. But here's the words. This is how God speaks of you. He's not a gossip about you. Here's what he says about you. He says that if you're in Christ, you're blessed. He calls you blessed. He says, if you're in Christ, he calls you chosen. He says, if you're in Christ, he calls you adopted and redeemed and forgiven and that you're rich in grace, meaning his grace has been showered upon you and that you have an inheritance that makes the greatest trust fund seem silly in comparison. That's who you are. That's what you have. He says that you're predestined to praise him. It says that you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. That means you have the Holy Spirit. It's a stamp that says that God is yours and and you are his. That's how God talks about you. That's how God talks about you. Isn't that awesome? So So if that is how God speaks about his children, should we not do the same with one another as we're called to reflect him as we're made in his image? And if this is the high and exalted speech that God uses to describe you, how much then should we guard our mouths when we speak about others? Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for your words of life through your word that that are such a blessing to us, Lord. I pray that this would not feel like slavish obligation. I I pray that this would feel like joy because we love you. Lord, and if there's a sense of condemnation, Lord, I pray that your, your gospel would heal and comfort. May there not be a sense of condemnation leaving this room, but may there be a sense of conviction if necessary or a, a deep sense of rejoicing, knowing that we can come and repent. And after we pre- repent and, and, and see what you have done for us, there can be rejoicing in light of the grace and mercy we've been shown. So may that be the people we are. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I just want to say another, just a real quick word. Um, Some of you may not know, but this is my last Sunday for a couple months because I'm going on sabbatical. And I'm just so thankful. I just want to communicate this. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that takes the health of leaders seriously. And um, this is something that, Man, I've just really been feeling the need for for the last year or so, and I'm just so thankful for you guys enabling that. And um, I'll miss you guys. I love this church. Um, my family and I probably won't be here um, on Sunday. My kids are a little disappointed about that, so maybe you guys can come pick them up and they can come to church with you. But Kim and I at least won't um, be here on Sundays for June and July. Um, and so we're just going to be resting, and we'll be attending at other churches and rejuvenating and just, but all that to say, just so thankful for this church, so thankful for you guys and um, your blessing in our lives. And so we'll, um, we'll be back around. We'll see some of you out and about, I'm sure, but we'll be back around officially back to work uh, right at the beginning of August. So thank you guys.